All right, welcome in. Um, just got done watching the Super Bowl. Welcome to this edition of All Balls. A very special one because we're going to talk a little bit of basketball. Very, very little. Um, but if you watched the Super Bowl, you heard the name Tremaine Davis. You saw him in a commercial. And you saw him get recognized as one of the honorary captains for what he's doing as an educator. Um, and th- that's that's just a smidgen of the story. That's what he's doing now, providing resources for students who don't have them. So, look, he played basketball for my brother, who was an assistant at San Diego State, and uh, lost my voice a little bit coaching youth basketball this weekend. So, uh, just a, a quick side note, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app. This is an incredible story, and so I had to share it with you. Uh, Tremaine Davis was a great player, power forward, San Diego State, but his life story is really worth listening to, understanding, and sharing with as many people as you can, because if you think you had it tough coming up, wait till you hear this. So, Tremaine, you're, you're an honorary captain for the Super Bowl. I'll, I'll get, we'll get into your story in a moment, but what, so what do you actually get to do today on Super Bowl Sunday? I get to uh, be on the field. I'm one of three captains who will be presenting a referee with the, with the coin to uh, do the coin toss. Uh, what they told me thus far is to make sure I don't trip and fall when I get out on the field uh, and be there to support. We have uh, one person who is a captain. Who, her name is Susie, who is a nurse here in, in a local Tampa area, and she will be the actual person that is presenting the coin to the referee. I'm pretty much there to, to be her, her moral support um, and just to be on the field and take in the entire experience, followed by an opportunity to sit up in, in a suite that's right on the 50-yard line, which is unbelievable. So 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 let's get into it, okay? Uh, where, where were you born? I'm born in Pittsburgh, California. It's in the East Bay. It's about Pittsburgh is, I would say, 30 minutes east of Oakland. Um, you know, we're near the, the Antioch uh, Concord area uh, for, for folks who are maybe familiar with like St. Mary's and Moraga. We're not that far away from there. OK, so wait, you were a, you were a ward of the state at birth or was yes. that when you were? Yes, I was I was ward of state at birth. Um, both of my parents at the time were severely addicted to heroin. Um, I was prematurely born. Uh, my mother had me when she was six and a half months pregnant with me. Um, so with the conditions that was going on with my mother, um, as well as their their drug uh, habit, uh, I was given immediately to, to the to the state of California, and I was placed in foster care until I was three years old, where my paternal grandmother adopted me. How big were you at birth? Uh, I was small, man. <laughs> well, like six and a half months. Like, were you a pound? Do you, do you know how big? Yeah, you were? maybe, maybe. I would say I, I I maybe maybe skated around two pounds, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I was very small. You know, I was in EQ for a very long time. Um, growing up as a young child, had a lot of health conditions. I had asthma very bad. I was in and out of the hospital all the time. And all of a sudden, something just happened. I don't know. I think it's just the love, the, the love and care of my grandmother uh, started to get healthy and started to grow a little bit. And, um, you know, that that has like ancient history. Now, I, I tell people that sometimes they don't believe me because, you know, I'm, I'm six, seven now about three bills and some change. And so <laughs> it's hard to believe that I was once, you know, two pounds born, born to earth. So yeah. It's, it's really amazing. Okay. So your grandma's bringing you up and then did your parents come back into your life? 
Yeah, you know, I think the, the the fortunate thing about being adopted by my paternal grandmother is that my family was always around. You know, I was always surrounded by my family. I knew where my mother was. I knew where my father was. But I also knew the realities as to why I couldn't, I wasn't raised by them. You know, uh, for most of my life, uh, my father, you know, struggled with his addictions. Uh, my, my mother eventually uh, became sober, uh, went back to school, got her GED. And you know, was was a functioning uh, person, and I was very excited for her. Right before she passed, uh, I was supposed to move in with her, and I was very excited for that. Like she passed away uh, the day before we were supposed to move in with each other, and so that was a tough so, time. So you're 14 years old, right? Yeah, you're getting ready to. Your mom's finally clean and sober. Yeah. What happened? She uh, had a brain aneurysm, and just you know, all of a sudden passed away immediately. Um, and uh, that was a tough time, you know. I, that was a that was a very tough time in my life. I, I when that happened to me, I had I had this feeling like I wasn't supposed to have a mother, and uh, you know it was it was dark. You know, I was trying to see the light of things, but like life around me was happening so fast that I had to keep up with what was going on. Um, a week after uh, my mother's funeral. Uh, found out that my father was very ill and um, me and my grandmother found out that my father had AIDS. And so we became um, caregivers for my father. So I didn't even have a time to like process that I lost my dad. It was like, I mean, excuse me, my mother, it was like going to the next team. And here I am with my grandmother, you know, signing up papers and taking CPR classes and getting an education on AIDS and, and how to treat AIDS and the medication my father was taking because I was responsible for my father's medication while my grandmother was at work. So I just was forced to kind of like grow up very fast and adopt to a life where I was going to have to give, sacrifice something of my own to give to my father. And that was a very tough transition. Like, I'm not going to lie to you and act like it was something that was easy because my father was not in my life. The times I saw my father, it was when my father was strung out. I remember one time I was walking home. I was, I was in the fifth grade. I'll never forget this. I was walking home from school. And I see three people running towards me. And as the people come closer to vision, it's my father. And my father has something hanging out of his hand. And as he comes, he passes me by. It's a car. It's a car stereo. And it's two people chasing after him. Like he just broke into someone's car running up and down the street. So like these are the things I had, you know, going on about my father. So when my grandmother made the decision that we were going to be his caregivers, it's the first time I ever like kind of talked back towards my grandmother. I was like, wait, we? You know, like, why Why me? You know, he, has, he hasn't done anything for me. Like, why do I have to do all this for him? What I realized in that moment is that this is, a, this is a village. And although this was my father, this was my grandmother's son. So I'm hurting one way. She's hurting a whole another way because this is her son, you know, that she has to take care of and get this news that, you know, he's, he's close to dying. When he came to stay with us, Doug, my father had uh, 12 T-cells left. You know, that's that's like your superpower. That's like your super immune system. That's the you only are born with so certain amount of T cells. And at, once they leave, that's it. So like, you know, he only had like they said six months to, to live, but he ended up living for, for two more years. And that was the greatest blessing, I think, you know, having my father in my house, because I was able to talk to him about the harsh realities of how he ended up the way he was. And he didn't sugarcoat anything from me. And I was asking some real adult questions about how did you end up this way? Because my father was an incredible basketball player himself. My father still has the record at his high school, most points scored. I remember one time in high school, I had a pretty good game. I scored about 37 points. 
And so I come home and I'm gloating about it. You know, I'm talking to my father about it. He was like, oh, that's great, son. Yeah. Hey, uh, go get that scrapbook over there, open it up to the third page. So I open it up to the third page. Uh, my father was a junior and he averaged 48 points as a junior. So oh, wait, <laughs> where, what high school? This is uh, the high school at the time was called Pacifica High School. It was in West Pittsburgh, California. That high school is now turned into a middle school called Riverview, uh, Riverview Middle School. And that's the middle school I, I went to. But my so, dad was a baller. So 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 what happened? How did he fall off? Uh, what he told me is that, you know, he was someone who always doubted himself. He never had real self-esteem. He always wanted to be the person that was liked all the time. So he did everything to, to get cool points from people. He played sports, not because he liked to play sports, but because people liked the fact that he played sports. Uh, he said when, you know, when it was during the time in the 70s, when everyone had big afros, he wanted to make sure he had the biggest afro. And when social drugs came on the scene, he wanted to be the first to have them and try them so that everyone can still give him his cool points. And then from there, he just slipped on down and the addiction became, you know, a, just took over his life. He told me this at 15. You know, and it it changed my life because I got a chance to see him as a person who and I, for whatever reason, I understood that. The things that I was upset with him about, it was his addiction, it wasn't necessarily him, but the, his addiction had taken over him. So, you know, he was he was fighting that demon and we were able to, to move on to develop a, a healthy relationship with one another, which I'm so thankful I had. OK, so buried in this is a bunch of other stuff. I want to get to the basketball because right. okay? right. right. um, but you were in special ed K yeah. through 12. Yes. So what was uh, initially like, did they did they tell you had a learning disability? Did they use the R word? Like what was the like what? what how were you treated? Social development due to me being uh, a ward of the state. Uh, being raised by someone who was born in the 30s. My caseworker, my social worker at the time, and the uh, child protective services judge felt that I would have a better opportunity to to adapt more to my social environment by being in special education. And of course, right, right, right. It it sounds like, right? Yes, we talk about this now in 2021. It sounds complete like, what, what are we talking about? Uh, but you know, this is back in that, that's the opposite of it, right? Like it's the like opposite. You're a social outcast if you're in special ed. This is right. This is this is correct. And that's what happened. That's what that was my experience. And you know, my, my grandmother, you know, being someone that's from Hope, Arkansas, born in the 30s, sixth grade education, she doesn't, you know, she's just trying to do what she feels what was best for me. And so I was placed in there um in the third grade. And stayed in there until uh, the end of my junior year. It wasn't until I met someone by the name of Aaron Bynes, who was my assistant principal at Pittsburgh High School, who taught me about advocating for myself to like test out. And um, I'm so thankful that he came into my life when he did, because that really helped me. Even though I only had like one full year of college prep courses, that helped change the trajectory of my life or even someone even seeing the potential that I had. What's his name? Aaron what? Aaron Vines. Aaron Vines, Dr. Aaron Vines. I still keep in contact with him to this day. He's still an educator. He is a he is the vice president at a at a, a community college school in, in, a, in the uh, L- L.A. area. Okay, so um, when did you start playing hoop? I always played basketball. Basketball was the sport in my neighborhood. You know, uh, I think I, I started like really playing like competitively when I was around eleven years old. 
and I was playing with my, you know, older cousins, older uncles. We sometimes you have to wait until like all the older, all the older men will get off the court so we can finally get on. Or you're kind of secretly hurt. You hope, hope someone will like sprain their ankles so you can get on the court. So, you know, I always play with like older people. And um, as I continue to grow and develop, like my skills got a little bit better. My coordination caught up with my height. And then I was, you know, able to, to hold, hold my weight down there on the court a little bit. But I always played basketball. It's, what, it's what, what, we did. what was the name of the rec center you grew up playing at? Uh, so I grew up in Pittsburgh. So we had we had the Le the Legion Service uh, Boys and Girls Club, which is on railroad in Pittsburgh. So I grew up playing there. There was another rec center called Ambrose Park, which is in West Pittsburgh. So I grew up playing there as well. There was parks all the way around my house. There's different elementary schools. We'll go. We'll we'll find a game and we'll play. So. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm of that generation where we'll go outside all day until like the street lights start to come on and we have to hurry up and go home. But I'll be out outside all day playing basketball. Like that's what we did. So you go to high school. OK, how good were you as a freshman? I was OK. You know, I feel like I was a very raw athlete. I was good enough to, to make varsity, but not good enough to start on varsity. Um, so I, I played varsity all four years in high school. Uh I was okay my freshman year. I, I feel like I didn't come into my own until my junior year. That's like when I really things really came together for me. Um, okay, but you're you're playing hoop, but you're also in special ed classes up right. until your senior year. Right. So like, did these? Man, I knew you all the same hood, but like, how did guys treat you? How did you know in terms of you know being their equal intellectually? Yeah, jokes stopped when we got on the court. Huh? The jokes. The jokes stopped when we got on that basketball court because like that to me that was my equalizer that was my way to get back at all the jokes you know all the things people had to say unfortunately in special education we went we, we went to school later and got out of school earlier so we would get to school during second period where everyone is walking through their classes our small yellow bus is pulling up to school so you can imagine the jokes that was coming out during that time Hey, you were a short bus dude, right? Yeah. I mean, we've all told the jokes, right? Right. Right. right? The right. short bus dude. Yeah. Then you get is... off, and you're like, eh, I'm actually yep. not, and right. that's not funny, and <laughs> right. Hoop, right. Yep. Yep. And so it's like, all right, I'll see you at lunchtime. I'm going to see you on the court. You know, I'm going to see you at practice. And that was my way to get even with everyone. And so I think from there, people start to respect me, but also, too, like in just in social gatherings. I was a sponge soaking up everything. And, and I wanted to make sure that when I was able to have a conversation, people would see that like I had some intellect about me. And so I was always into like reading books. I was always into learning about our history, Malcolm X, Dr. King, because I, I wanted to try my best to emulate these people who were regarded for their intelligence. And so um, I was always into the in, into those folks. And, and that also helped me too, along with school as well. Sounds like your grandma is a pretty amazing person. She was incredible, man. My grandmother is, is one of the greatest people. I know people say that a lot about, you know, their elders, but literally my, my grandmother, my my grandmother can have a movie about her life, just like her journey from Hope, Arkansas, California, the reasons why she left, um, able to sustain, control a household, buy a house, all of this with a sixth grade education from a woman who was born in the 1930s. I think that's one of the most incredible stories and you know a lot of a lot of my foundation of my determination comes from her well obviously and and it's like it's like your desire to read like that's just not that's something that it's because of your grandma you know like right. <clears throat> kids don't always gravitate towards picking up books right no. especially guys that can hoop 
Right. Like that's your, that's your grandma. That's how you're right. raised. Right. You know, right. And you, you do, or you don't. And that's, it's, that's part of, part of parenting uh, as, right. as I've kind of learned, you know? Um, okay. So what, how did, like you're, you're going through all this, you know, uh, Mr. Vines says, Hey, you can, you can test out of it. Yeah. At what point in time was playing college basketball a thought of a possibility? My junior year. I think that's when like it was, it started to become like, a, this is actually something that can really happen. Um, and I, I wanted to go to college. I thought maybe I was going to go the community college route and then transfer into a four year. But going to college was always my goal. Um, I just didn't know how to get there. Um, but my junior year, that's when things start to pick up, start getting a couple letters here and there in the mail um, from different colleges. And uh, I start to figure out, okay, this is going to be my plan. This, this is how I'm going to be able to get through it. You know, so I was able to, I was able to uh, really have a focus, but I knew that the other piece of that was the academic piece. And I was, I was constantly worried about that. Like, how am I going to get a chance to prove myself? How am I going to get a chance to show that, like, I'm actually capable of college work? Um, standardized testing. I know we, we talk about standardized testing a lot. And yes, there's a lot to talk about as far as the cultural bias, things of that nature. But honestly, me taking the SAT was a neutral fact of showing my intelligence because I test well on the SAT. I think I got I got a 1370 on my SAT. So, you know, like I tested well. And, and so it's like, interesting though, because because there is a narrative that there's a racial component to the SAT. Right. You know, and I think, you know, again, standardized testing is is fascinating, yeah. you know, for maybe a longer discussion because there right. there is some value to it because yes. oftentimes there are parts of the test which it's based upon the quality of the actual education. But right. what you're looking for is the quality of the, the mind, you know, to right. to process things. Right. And and also there's a there's a work ethic element to it because in college it's not always about how smart you are, it's about how hard you work and it's a, what you, you put know, in, that's right. Time. How did you get to San Diego State? Because I know the other side to it, obviously, my brother being on staff. Right. But how did it happen for you? So for me, again, my junior year, um, going at the end of my junior year, this is the first time I'm introduced to the concept of AAU basketball. Before then, I had no idea about AAU basketball. My first year playing was the summer of my going, to, going into my senior year. This is also the summer where my father passed. So my father passes away the 4th of July. You know, this is when he passed, um, the summer of 2000. And 16? Yeah, 16. So you're young too. I mean, like Very again, young. lost in all this is right. You're young. I'm right? young, right? I'm the last, I'm the last person to talk to my father alive. I went to go see him in the hospital when we had a great conversation. And one thing he said to me, he said, Tremaine, please try your best to remember me how I am now. I don't want you to remember me how I was. And I said to him that if it wasn't for how you was, we wouldn't get to the space of me remembering you how you want me to remember you. So I'm going to remember you as a whole person, you know, because that's what led us to get to this point. And that was the last conversation we had, you know, anyone had with my father. Um, they said after I left about five hours later, like around midnight, he went to sleep and never woke up. So that's, am that's amazing that you said that. It's like, so in, in my job, you know, when you cover, <clears throat> especially college basketball at times, right? you'll have 
coaches that, or, you know, or parents or players, whatever. And they only want you to say the good things. You're like, no, 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 no. Like, look, we're all flawed on some level as a human being, you know, right. right. If you tell the whole story and it's still, there's goodness there. It's like your dad, yeah. like he was a, he obviously had a good soul, Yes. Right? but there's a, there's lessons to be learned for the path and the punishment that he served. I'm guessing, you know, he got it from a dirty needle, right? Right. Is, is how he, how he contracted HIV and ultimately led to AIDS, right. whatever. Right. But like, yeah. And, and he can't tell you, but did you, this is my question. This is an honest one. Did you feel when he passed and maybe now, obviously years later, did you feel like you kind of bared your soul to him? Like you, like he knew you knew how you felt about him. Knew did, 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 is there, is there, because when, when my dad died, I, I think he knew, but I'm not sure if I ever, because I was actually going to fly. And he was much older, obviously. Right. But I was going to fly to California for Thanksgiving. And he died literally the day before we were flying out there. Right. And so I don't know if I tr truly kind of cleansed my soul. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. Every, every day, every day that we had a, that we had a relationship, we talked about, it. you know, I, I let him know, like a part a part of his healing process, a part of his ability to sustain his life for as much as he, he was able to, was us pouring love into him. And I reminded him every day that like this next half of your life, you're going to live with a purpose. We need you. I need you. You are value. You are important to me. I need to understand that. So and without a doubt, he knew exactly I mean, at, at how I At 16 years old, telling this? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so you're so you're you're playing AU hoop for who? Yeah, so I played for North Cal uh, Magic, uh, which I don't even know if that AU team is, is around. You know, we we were outshadowed by like the Oakland Soldiers, the Rebels. You know, um, we played in North Oakland. We played out the Boys and Girls Club in Bushride out of North Oakland, as well was our home base. You know, but I had I had a great I had a great team. I had uh, Nate Robinson. Nate the Great was was my point guard on my AU team. So, you know, playing with him was incredible. Uh, but we went into we went into Adidas big time tournament, if you recall. And I hope I don't mess anything up as far as the sponsor in regards. Well, we just went to the big time tournament. And so this is the year, this is the year where Tyson Chandler is in Slam every single magazine cover. He's got all covers of Slam magazine. Jenny Fry is the, the biggest thing out of the West Coast besides Tyson Chandler. And then you have Eddie Curry on the East Coast. And they're all in my bracket. They're all in my bracket. So I'm hitting up against these guys who have futures in the NBA. And I remember we saw Tyson team come out of the locker room and they walk into the gym. And we we're like, you know, just getting ready to get pumped to play a game. And we wasn't playing them just yet. But when they came in, my team, everyone stopped talking. And everyone was just like in awe of Tyson Chandler. And I got up and I was like, What's wrong with y'all? Like, this dude tie his shoes the same way he tie our shoes. He hoop, we hoop. Like, he ain't nothing special. And I'm saying this loud, you know, like, so everyone can hear me. And, like, he kind of looks back, and we catch eyes. And I continue to talk. And so he's looking like, who is this dude? Like, the nerve of him. And so he goes in, and then we play our game. Their game ends. They come over to watch us play. And I, that, I, I, don't, I was out of my mind that summer. That, I've never played basketball the way I played basketball that summer. But it was my way of getting all this stuff off my chest. I just lost my father. I never had time to mourn my mother. 
you know, so I'm going through all this. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get to college. Basketball seems like it's going to help me get there, but I don't know. So I got to put everything on. I got to put everything in this. And that's what I did. I had an incredible run that tournament. Incredible run. Uh, played against Channing Fry, ate him up, you know, like, <laughs> so, <laughs> I had an incredible run. So um, how did San Diego State come to be? So San Diego State was one of the first teams that actually sent me a letter. They were the first, one of the first schools to say, hey, we're interested in you. And from there, I've had conversations, obviously, with your brother. Uh, Coach Dutcher uh, was someone who would come back and forth to my games. Coach Fisher was sending me notes all the time. And then when, you know, you go through the process and schools will say, hey, send us a copy of your transcripts. So every single school that was, you know, recruiting, there were some name schools. It was Kansas State at one point, Marquette at one point, um, Oregon State at, at one point, you know, was, was, but when I sent out those transcripts, everything stopped. So when I talked to San Diego State, you know, about, this opportunity of me taking the SAT, I told them, I said, uh, I said, if I have my SAT, I'm going to sign my letter of intent. And Coach Dutcher was like, no, when you pass your SAT, come on down, we'll have a visit, and we'll take care of everything else. So they always empowered me. They always believed in me. They, not one point did they ever fall and say, hey, we're worried about, you know, your transcripts. They always stayed with me. And so when I passed, it was a no brainer. I went on my visit as a formality just to, to just to be there. But I knew I was going to go there. And I'm happy now, I went on my know, visit. Did you go know ahead. that Coach Fisher had to go to admissions and vouch for you in order to get it done? Yeah. He, he told me, you know, and, and, I, and there was a part of that where I had to like, I had to do an interview with admissions. And he told me, he said, you know, I, this is going to be an uphill climb. What I can promise you is that I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do the best job. Man, man, yep. Jermaine, you know, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was like, you know, I want to tell you that I'm going to give it my all, but I'm going to need you to do your part. And I'm like, yes, coach, I got you. I'm going to do my part, you know, so but he did. And, you know, we were able to, to get it done. But, you know, folks was was banking on me not not staying in school. People thought that yeah. I was, you know, just going to be there one semester and I was that. But I was determined, man, I, I, you know, no one in my family graduated high school, you know, let alone go to college. So I wanted to make sure that I, I that curse, that that barrier was going to be broken with me. And I was determined to get there. And, and so, you know, that's that's what I, I, I was focused on. That, that, that's amazing to change the cycle, right? That's, that's yeah. really, you know, to, to change the cycle. And it's one of the things that, you know, look, I understand and respect that schools make money off college student athlete. I, I get it. They make money off all their students. I mean, that's part of the, part of the deal. But I, I don't think we do, we give enough credit in my business for the benefit of just that, the basketball, just getting into school, how hard that is, right? Like if you're not recruited by San Diego state, you don't go to San Diego state. I don't right? go. It just doesn't happen. Right. right. And it doesn't create an opportunity for you. And obviously Mr. Vines helped you. Um, your, you know, your AU coach, your high school coach, and now the San Diego state program. Okay. So you get there. Yeah. Right. You've only been in regular high school classes for one year. One year. Now you're in college. Right. Real deal. Yes. How'd you survive? I used all of my resources. 
there was never one time where I shied away from my resources. So like, you know, every college has a department where they help students to have maybe a different approach to learning or a learning disability. Uh, at San Diego State, mm -hmm. it was called the uh, DSS department, Disability Cert Student Services. I, used, I, I utilized all of my resources. I made sure that when I had a midterm, I got extra time. Um, I did study hall. I was always in study hall. I didn't look at study hall as something like, oh, this is something that I'm forced to do. I knew that I needed to be around that space. I advocated for myself. I asked for tutors. The tutors that the, sometimes that they had, my major was uh, Africana studies. And sometimes they had tutors that, that wasn't you know, privy to Africana studies. So I worked with my dean of my department to have them assign me a tutor that will visit, that will be with me um, in study hall. So I was someone who was advocating for, like, listen, I need help. Where can I get it? And we're going to make this happen. And so I really stuck to that. I was in study hall Monday through Friday. There never was a day where I was not Tr in Tremaine, the this does again. not work with, this was not work with the narrative. Okay. This does not work. The narrative <laughs> is that colleges bring kids in. School doesn't matter. Right. They don't care. Right. They just want you to play. They don't care about your major. They want right. you to major in the easiest thing possible. Right. And just stay eligible. That's nope. what everybody says to me. That's what they say, but I, I'm I'm living proof that that is not true. Well, I, San Diego State, that's not true. I, I can solely speak from my experience at San Diego State. That was not true. Uh, Coach, your brother, um, Dutch, Marvin Menzies, all of them were so helpful in making sure I had what I needed. There are times where I had to miss practice because I had an assignment to do, or there was some kind of program that I, I had to attend. And so I, I have to let them know, coach, I, I'm going to let them practice or I can't practice today because of this. And of course, they were reluctant to let me go, but they they knew that, you know, I, I had to do it. <laughs> there was no other way. Um, like, we had to get it done. How did you guys turn that thing around? I mean, because, like, look, I'm, I'm a little older than you, but I mean, we played in 2000, we played them. They were so bad the first year. Right. They, I mean, it was like 40 to 14 at the half. And, right. and my coach turned to me at halftime. He's like, you tell your brother, they got to get some players, brother. And, <laughs> and you guys flipped that thing. Yeah. How? You know what? I'm going to tell you this. And I don't think I, so. So let me say this. The success that Coach Dutcher is having right now is no surprise to anyone who's ever played for him. If you recall, in 2001, Coach, coach Fisher lost his mother, unfortunately. And so he went back. He went back home. And so Dutch was, was coaching us and Dutch lit a fire underneath. We were a subpar team at that time, but Dutch lit a fire in us and said that we got, we have something that we have to play. We have something that's bigger than ourselves that we have to play for. We got to figure out what that is. And we rallied behind the passing of coach mom and to make sure that we did what we could do to honor him and to honor her. And that's when we came together that's when things gel. The biggest thing, the biggest thing was was getting our players to play unselfish. We had Tony Bland who transfers from Syracuse. You know who is, you know he is a legend in LA in, in Southern California. Tony is a legend. We had Randy Holcomb who had a, a short career with, with the with the Chicago Bulls for for a minute. You know, and we had other guys who thought they were just as good, if not better, than those guys. Someone had to make a sacrifice. The play came when we were in the tournament, the Mountain West tournament, and Randy had an opportunity to take a game-winning shot but pass it to Al Fox. And that and that was incredible, man. I think that that like summed up like the sacrifice that the team made. 
And that's how we turned it around. And from there, you know, once the, once the school becomes a program that's won something, more people want to come. And that's what happened, you know, and then we get, we land the Kawhi's and then the, the rest is history. And now we are a legit respectable program, which is phenomenal. I always tell people like, you, you can tell how respected we are because we went from being sponsored by Russell Athletics to now being sponsored by Jordan. That says everything right there. That's a great, that's a, that's a great one. I didn't think of that one. <laughs> um, did you walk? I'm sorry, what'd you say? Did you walk? Did you graduate? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, I took in that so, whole thing. <laughs> hold on, hold on. So, what is that emotion like for somebody who everything you've been through, knowing your family have been through high school? Yeah, you get to college, you play, you make the tournament. Yeah, you graduate from college. Yeah, what is that feeling of accomplishment like? At that. At that time, that was the greatest, that was the greatest accomplishment I could ever have at that time. That was by far like the 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 and still to this day, it ranks up there to, to the things I, I've been I've been able to be successful at. Um it 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 holds that the high of a rank. Like I would say besides being married and, and having children, um, me graduating from college means that much to me. What have you done since graduation? I've dedicated my my time. I've dedicated my my uh, my passion um, to education because one thing that I want to make sure that doesn't happen is that there is someone else like me that doesn't have the support. I've really um, tried really trying my best to make sure that I advocate for students that are in similar situations like the one I was in. Um, and fortunately, I've been very fortunate to be around great people great educators, uh, people who really are passionate about not only the work, but are passionate about the students that they serve. And I've been fortunate to be around certain things that's happened that has like, you know, made a, a grand impact at the institutions that I worked at. And so that's what I'm about. You know, I, I, I just, I will say that I'm an educator, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a strong advocate for those who are sometimes being overlooked. And uh, I want to make sure that I continue on, on that path. How can how can somebody else, somebody who's sitting like me or somebody listening to this podcast, like, man, that's that's incredible. How can I be a part of that? Well, I think the, the first thing is just to 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 one, we we have to do a better job of, of keeping our, our ears open. We we have to we, we have to keep constantly in our minds, we can't forget how we got somewhere. All of us have gotten somewhere because it was someone who opened the door for us, it was somebody who helped us. And we can't forget that. Once we get somewhere, we can't shut that door or pretend like we got here on our own. Like I think that becomes the most important aspect of is to keep that mindset of I'm here because somebody else helped me. So now it's my turn. It's my responsibility to help somebody else out. And so I, so as long as we keep that, I, I think that's how we can continue to move it to grow. And it can be something as easy as volunteering, you know, at, at, on the school board. It can be donating you know some time to to the to the YMCA or, or something of that nature um, but most of the thing is we have to be able to advocate for those who, who need that help because I think the biggest thing in my life that that's helped me get to where I am that is that I never was silenced enough to the point where no one could hear me I've always had someone there to help me grow my voice so that it can be louder and so that's what I try to do with, with my students now who helped you get recognized by the NFL uh, Angela LaChica, 
who is so funny is also was a part of the San Diego State um, basketball program as a team manager while I was while I was there uh, as a student athlete. Uh, she was one of the team managers, and she's. Good I don't know, so I don't know if you know this aspect to it, okay? But yeah. coach didn't want to keep her. I know she was from the previous staff, <laughs> yep. and he was concerned because she's a she was a very pretty young woman, right? right. Right. And she, he was like, I, you know, and I, I don't know if I want to, you know, have a pretty <laughs> student man, you know, right. Right. And right. now she's this, she's, she has her own PR firm. Yes. And she, she helped your story get recognized. Like yes. how amazing is that? You talk about people along your path that have helped you. Yes. She recognized who you were and what you were about. And because of it, like, you're you're going to be at the coin toss of the Super Bowl and get recognized for the human being. I, I, it's, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. But I, I think it also goes to say, like we we have to be open. If I ever was closed, if I ever was like, oh, I'm good. I don't need help. If I was closed off and I didn't like open up and share my story with people, I would not be here. So having that 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 false sense of pride of thinking that you can do something by yourself. You will never land. You will never be as great as you as you're planning to be because you can't do this by yourself. None of us make it make it by ourselves. So to have opportunities to 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 work with people who've been there, a part of my journey, who now can come back to help me get highlighted in, in a higher space, means that I have a, a a bigger responsibility to make sure that when this is all said and done, I go back and do the same thing. Um. Okay, so if you could connect with somebody who's struggling, right? And there's different types of struggles. Thankfully, right. not a lot of people go through mom and dad addicted to heroin. Mom gets clean. She passes right. away. Dad gets AIDS. He passes away. Right. You know, thought to be special needs, you know, and turns out actually really, really bright college graduate. But if you were to connect with somebody who's going through a tough time, how do you persevere? Because there are times in which a lot of people are like, man, the world is against me. Yeah. I just, I, the world is against me. Right. The world seemed to be against you. Right. right? Your grandma believed in you. Yeah. Your tribe believed in you, but the world seemed to be against you and you yeah. push back against it. Yeah. How would you connect with somebody and tell them to persevere? I, I will first, I would take the time to listen to, where they are. I would take the time to listen to where they are in their life and why do they feel that the world is against them. And if there is something that I can relate to as they tell me their story, then I will connect with that. And I'll let them know that if they just take the time to continue to take steps forward, take the time to see this thing through, it's going to turn out better on the other side because I'm living proof of that. But I think it, we have to make sure that we don't go in guns a blazing. Hey, I did it. You can do it too. It's deeper than that. It's yeah. taking the time to understand where this person is coming from, the conditions that are making them believe that the world is against them. And from there, together, we figure out what's going to be the next step so that you feel that you have more people that's supporting you. Um, and we move on and we go from there. Um, I, I don't... I don't take a cookie cut method when I work with students. All my all the students I ever work with have different things that's going on. And it's important for me to find what piece can I identify with to help them get along the way. Uh, and if I can't, sometimes I can't. Who do I know that can? Who do I know that is going to be just as relentless as I am that's going to help them move forward? 
And fortunately, I know people like Angela Lachica. I know people like, like your brother. You know, I know folks who are around that can help them get to the next step. And so that's what it's about for me, you know, and I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that I, I, I all the stuff that's happened to me, I'm thankful that it did because if it didn't, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. This wouldn't be as powerful if it was just a typical student athlete, graduated college, da 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 da. If somebody wants to connect with you, how could they do that? Because there are gonna be people here this listen to this pod and they're gonna go, man, I, yeah. gotta, I gotta just thank this guy for it. I gotta meet him, I gotta know him. How can I connect with you? Don't yeah, do your cell phone, I'm, like social no. media. How can somebody <laughs> how can connect with you? I'm very easy to find. Um, I have a couple of different social medias. The one is Tremaine Davis, uh, just at Tremaine Davis. I have a podcast that's called the manifesto pod show both are public you can you know at me i'm on i'm still of the generation where i still check my facebook so i'm on facebook as well um but yeah i i'm i'm very easy to access i don't know how long that's going to stay with all everything that's happening now but <laughs> i'll try my best to be accessible to people as much as possible because again well you're, I, you're I, an incredible man thank and you. an incredible success story and this is only, this is not the last chapter of the book, right? This is, we're in the middle chapters of things. And Man. and I can't tell you how, how proud everybody who knows you and knows of you and all you've been through to see you on the field in a couple hours, the Super Bowl. And uh, I really, really, on this special day, I really appreciate you taking time. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to be here and to share your platform this way. And this is incredible. And I'm thankful, man. I'm very thankful. And I, I want to make sure that I do my best to, to not let those folks down because that's what it's about. Hey, last thing you said, books, one book, somebody should pick up right now. So I, I just got done reading the, uh, the autobiography of John Thompson. I, I just read that before I, I took off to, to come here to Tampa. Incredible book. It's called, uh, I came, I came from shadow. Uh, it's the book about John Thompson, who, you know, we know as the former coach of Georgetown university, you know, the first African-American coach to win a national championship. Very powerful yeah. book. Uh, I love that book so much. It reminds me so much of Coach Fisher as I read that book. So it's, it's a powerful book. Tremaine, have a great, wonderful day, man. And enjoy the spoils of all your hard work. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, family. Thank you so much. All right, that's my talk with uh, Tremaine Davis. We have other pods coming out. We're obviously cranking right here into NCAA basketball season. I have a lot of thoughts in the Mountain West. Just saw uh, Nevada beat Boise State twice. Obviously, the Pac-12 is kind of upside down. Cade Cunningham didn't make a couple of shots, but Oklahoma State did beat Texas in double overtime. I'm going to call Kansas, Oklahoma State tomorrow night as of the time of, actually tonight as the time of this drops. And I'll give you my thoughts on Kansas and where that program goes from here. And my thoughts on Cade Cunningham, watching him play for the first time in person all season long. In the meantime, thanks for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball.